people on Ambien have done very weird things, like kill people accidentally on Ambien. For real? Yeah. Welcome back to episode five of the Overtone Window Podcast. This is Alec from the media. And this is Delaney from school, middle school. You're a teacher at middle school, right? <laughs> not not in middle school. <laughs> sometimes I question that. I don't know. But yeah, I'm a teacher. We wear many hats. This is where we go through my Twitter and see what Delaney thinks of it this week. Mm-hmm. But, but first, we have a viewer question. Listener question. Yeah, a listener question sent in by... My aunt. Sent in by Aunt Jen, mm-hmm. who says, On the overtone window, would you be able to explain hashtags? Oh, so did hashtags originate with Twitter? I think that's a great question. I hadn't thought about that. Before I answer it, what do you think? Um, I do think they originated on Twitter. Uh, because the only other place I know of hashtags being is Instagram. And it, Twitter was around before Instagram. Mm. Um, how they originated, I don't know. I think that I I understand the idea of being able to tag something and mm-hmm. trend things, but how mm-hmm. they originated, I cannot tell you. Well, I guess there's probably some history behind what the pound sign means. Ah, well, so of course the hashtag originally known as the pound sign mm-hmm. for getting into gated communities or getting the right extension on phones. Right. Which... I remember when, not that long ago, five years ago, when I would call somewhere and they'd be like, hit the pound sign after entering the number, Mm -hmm. I would look at my phone and be like, there's no pound sign. There's only a star and a hashtag. (laughs) I don't have the pound (laughs) sign on my phone. What is the pound (laughs) sign? It does not, where's the English pound note sign? I don't know what they're talking about. You didn't know that that was, (laughs) no, and I had to go Google it and they're like, oh, what the heck? What do they call a pound? The star is also the asterisk. Come on, get it together. Oh, well, that looked like a star to me. And I think when they say it on recordings, they call it star. Yeah. So that's fair, I guess. Star but six, seven. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Which probably isn't even a thing anymore. I think it is. Actually, uh-huh. I'm pretty sure, you know, middle school, I learned the tools of the trade. Oh, they're, they're still using star they six, They still seven? like to do that, especially if they get like a teacher's phone number. And they're going to like, I'm going to prank call you, miss. <laughs> and they like to do that. Wait, have you ever gotten a prank call? Um... I don't answer blocked calls. <laughs> that's a good that's a good but life lesson. I'm certain that kids have attempted before. That's the Miss Harrell bio. I do not answer <laughs> blocked calls. No, not even, yeah. Anyway, to answer the view, <laughs> the, the uh, on Jen's question, the yeah. listener's question, okay. the use of the hashtag was inspired by, of course, the pound sign, and it was originated by Chris Mencia, who later went on to be like a chief developer at Uber and also worked at Firefox. But we're going to rewind all the way back to 2007 when Twitter had just come out. And he proposed a similar system that like blogs had used. He used a similar system that blogs had used where old fashioned like Google blogs had a thing called tags. They just didn't use hashtags. They were just words that were put into the RSS feed um, so that when Google could crawl around the website, they could collate similar topics. And he proposed using the pound sign as a tag and call it a hashtag for Twitter. And he even tweeted about it. Here's the first tweet ever by Chris in 2007, August 23rd, 2007. Chris Messia, username Factory Joe, tweeted, How do you feel about using pound sign for groups, as in pound sign bar camp? Now, Chris's suggestion to use the hashtag was not adopted by Twitter. Oh. They totally ignored him. 
but the practice took off after hashtags were widely used in tweets relating to the 2000 San Diego forest fires in Southern California. Mm-hmm. So apparently it was kind of an organic thing. Users actually like adopted it after some sort of community thing took place in San Diego. According to Chris, he suggested the use of hashtags to make it easy for lay users to search for content and find specific relevant updates, which he was spot on. That's what hashtags became. He said they were specifically for people who do not have technological knowledge to navigate the site. Well, Chris, thank you. <laughs> um, so you want to hop to it? There's a lot here. Oh, yeah. Let me thank you, Jen, for sending that question. Oh, yeah. If you'd like to send in more questions, we'll do our best to answer them. Yeah. In a timely was, manner. That was a really good question and i actually learned some things i know alec had to do some research (sighs) that might be true and so he now knows that the hashtag is also the pound sign (laughs) why (laughs) yes i do know that now so thank you for that okay so there's like a lot on the menu i think i want to start with this first tweet just because i want you to be able to expand upon it in because I think there's like two things happening. Yeah, let's run. And I'll and ask the questions, I guess. Um, Alec tweeted, "This is a terrific essay by Caitlin Pacific, and it's a link um, to an article in the Atlantic. And this is quite a lengthy bit, but I want to read it. Okay. It says, "Quote: I've thought about that a lot, but I've also thought a good deal about the boy on Samantha B's program." I thought about the moment her producer approached the child's mother to sign a release so that the woman's young son could be humiliated on television. Was it a satisfying moment, or was it accompanied by a small glint of recognition that embarrassing children is a crappy way to make a living? I thought about the boy waiting eagerly to see himself on television, feeling a surge of pride that he'd talked about church in his Bible study, and I thought about the moment when he realized that it had all been a trick that the grown-up who had seemed so nice had only wanted to hurt him. My God, I thought, what have we become? Can you explain what this is in reference to? So can I explain what this is in reference to? Yeah, will you explain what this is in reference to? So Caitlin is referencing, I think, she's using a specific example from Samantha Bee's show, where they do kind of like... um. They send out field producers to record like funny bits, and I think popularized by John Stewart and The Daily Show and Stephen Colbert and all, you know, John Oliver, the host of all those late night people that go out and send field re- producers out to do funny bits. All right. One second. Pause. Um, you are talking about Samantha B. Um, can you tell us what news station she's on? I know her show is called Full Frontal, right? Yeah. Full Frontal with Samantha B on TBS. Okay. And she has this show similar to that of like John Stewart or the daily show what the daily show used to so be. It's like news and comedy together. Yeah. Okay. And in her show, but she's not the only one to do this. They send out field producers to do like funny bits about contemporary subjects. And Caitlin, the author of the Atlantic is referencing how often the producers of these field bits aren't totally honest about the people they're interviewing or how they're going to be portrayed later on after they're like edited it up and spliced up to be like for comedic effect or make them look dumb or funny or silly. Caitlin is inquiring if there's a loss of ethic, ethical integrity to doing some of that. Okay, I guess the reason I wanted to ask is because I know Samantha B has a bit been in hot water for some comments she made in relation to Ivanka. Right, indeed. Is Caitlin's essay about that or about another scenario or situation? Caitlin's essay is prompted by 
what Samantha B said, calling Ivanka Trump the C-word. But she expands it to talk about, like, late-night shows and the things they get away with and how, in her mind, honestly, calling Ivanka the C-word is less troubling than what they do to ordinary people for a laugh in their shows. And I agreed with it. Okay. That was what I was wondering, kind of like, well, is there something else going on that Samantha B also did? But I understand what you're saying. Right. I think she was just pointing out, like, look at how easy it is to condemn Samantha for using a bad word. Mm-hmm. When it's much more, it, when it's much harder to think introspectively about the construction of these shows right. and the harm they do, not to political figures or to you know, Samantha B herself, but to the average people that they sometimes make fun of in their field produced pieces. Yeah, I agree. Media training. <laughs> people get ruined. Um, okay, let's move on. I mean, producers prey on that a lot of time. Producers. A lot of time producers prey on that ignorance of how media is constructed for the lay person. So they do that. They're like, oh, you know, we'd love to interview your kid. Like, let them talk at this right. Christian convention center. Yeah. And they're not fully transparent that this mm-hmm. might be a comedy show. Or they might not share similar beliefs to the right. convention. And that even if you think you're being very articulate in the interview, they are editing wizards and they will cut you up any which way mm-hmm. to try to get a laugh. So lesson takeaway is don't ever agree to be interviewed. (laughs) (laughs) Here's what I would do. Okay. If you want to be interviewed by a field producer at a major network or any media organization, Mm -hmm. say fine. But I would also like to record the entire interview myself and just set up your phone, get an audio recording that they can't edit, that you have your own copy. And so if they ever edit it in a way that you dislike, you can immediately release the full unedited version on YouTube or SoundCloud or whatever. And you can point out, look at this is how they're twisting it. This mm-hmm. is how they're warping it. That's good advice, Alec. Yeah. I think we should all now want to be interviewed so we can catch them. Well, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully the producers are going to be moral and ethical. It's just as a safety precaution. Okay. So let's go on. Um, you retweeted a tweet from Hank Green. And is that John Green's brother? It is. The author John Green who wrote The Fault in Our Stars, Paper Towns, Looking for Alaska. Um, Indeed. Hank Green tweeted, My unpopular YouTube opinion is that there is more good stuff being uploaded YouTube right now than any time previously. I remain astounded by the breadth and depth of creativity that continues to explode on YouTube. If you aren't happy with what's on the site, look harder. And I guess I just wanted to ask you, because before I really knew you, I didn't really watch YouTube or know much about it, um, but it's been cool to like watch things with you and get a better understanding. So would you like to share a bit about what you like on YouTube and why you like it so much? Sure. To answer to is why I retweeted Hank Green. I agree with him just by, I think, statistical volume amount, the more stuff that gets made. Mm-hmm. Ergo, there's just going to be more good stuff. It's going to be harder to find sometimes through the sea of everything. Right. But if you can find it and you're persistent, you can come across a lot of great, unique, original creators. So actually, in connection to that, so how do you, like, say I wanted to start watching YouTube videos or something, how would I, like, wade my way through the waters of everything to find quality content? What do you suggest? Ooh, I don't know. It's a little, it's a bit of a chicken and egg question. Okay. 
it's almost like music where if you grow up listening to music you start to find like bands you like when you're young and then you go like oh i like this band then you mm, listen to this true. band and then by the time you're an adult you've acquired an eclectic ray of like mm-hmm. music you've heard that you like how to find other bands what what you should be tuned into okay. that you might like and like myself having grown up with youtube i think it's very parallel to like music if you were to take it up an adult who had never heard music before in their life mm, true. and asked like well how do i get into music you know you just threw them in a cd store yeah they might get overwhelmed mm-hmm. um i think sometimes the best the best approach maybe if you're an adult who's interested in like getting into youtube content mm-hmm. would be to find somebody who's into youtube and like ask them for recommendations yeah and then try out some of the stuff okay. watch it and be like oh i didn't like that i did like this and then from there, kind of go around on the suggested videos from those channels yeah. and see what... Oftentimes, YouTubers will talk about other YouTubers, too. Mm-hmm. They have, like, nodes and networks and communities, and you can kind of hop around. But maybe, I think, if you're a doll that's never, like, watched YouTube, it can definitely seem like a massive wall of just stuff that might be hard to get into. So I guess find somebody that likes YouTube. So will you share your top go-to channels that you like to watch? For sure. So, in reference to Hank Green, mm-hmm. who is the brother of John Green, they started a YouTube channel way back in 2007. It's called The Vlog Brothers. It's one of my favorite channels of all time. They really set the precedent for a lot of things on YouTube. They're definitely like the forefathers of the, the patron saints of YouTube <laughs> in many ways. I mean, Hank and John Green founded VidCon, for instance. They're the ones that started that. Okay. Um, they're the ones that started Crash Course which has also become a huge thing. So definitely the Vlog Brothers. Vlog Brothers. Vlog Brothers. I would check out. And then I was showing you H3H3, mm-hmm. which I think is a great channel. Um, other uh, other other new ones that I've discovered recently, Nerd City, I think is a great, excellent channel. So shout out to Nerd City. <laughs> what about that one, Bossed Wiki? Oh yeah, those are my own channel, Bossed Wiki. <laughs> Extra Credits is a great channel if you want to learn about video games in an academic way. They discuss video games and like how video games are constructed or various things. I'd like to note that Alec does not play video games. I don't games. play video This is the best channel ever. It's totally <laughs> changed my mind about video games in like an art form and made me so much more thoughtful about like video games and appreciate huh. video games. But he does not play them at all. I do not. <laughs> so this should, this should be an example of how quality this channel is and yeah. how smart their, their stuff is. I think it's interesting to think about how YouTube enables us to have access to so many different things like educational, um, entertainment, news, but like also some like very introspective, reflexive, like thought provoking things. You just have to be able to spend the time to find what you're looking for. But I know for me personally, the only time I really look at YouTube is like if I want to watch a music video or something. Right. But if I want to learn how to do something, there's so many tutorials and videos like how to do them. Mm hmm. So it's cool that we have such easy access to those things and we don't have to go searching the bookstore for those. Remember those like how-to for dummy books? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Game over. Yeah, but it's so helpful to, especially for someone who really learns best, I think, from watching someone do something. I think it's cool. I don't think about that often, but anyways. Yeah, just as an anecdote, YouTube is actually the second largest search engine in the world, right behind Google. Wow. I'm not surprised. Yeah. That's cool, though. Um, we can talk about Roseanne. Yes. Now, do you know what happened to Roseanne? Well, you have a few tweets here, and I don't know which one would be the best to sort of discuss. Um, I do know what occurred. Okay, so what, inc- what occurred? 
Tell, well, the, tell the audience what occurred. So this is what I know, is that Roseanne tweeted some racist comments, and then her show was canceled. Even though the show has been having great ratings and had a really huge comeback, um, the network decided to pull it because of her racist comments. And that is the... Ex- oh, I also know that she um, blamed it on taking Ambien, which is a sleeping pill, correct? Correct. Yeah, that's the extent of what I know. I don't know what the tweet said. Um, and now I know people are... And, like, the company who creates Ambien came out and apologized um, and was like, we, there's a lot of different side effects, but racism is not one. That's the extent. So I'd like to hear your thoughts. You've tweeted a few things, um, and it almost seems like just based off of this one tweet that you said, actually a reasonably compelling defense if you slog through the first couple of minutes, food for thought, at least shruggy. And it was a link to a Scott Adams talk that says Scott Adams talks about Roseanne's ambient defense. Um, so I guess maybe you're not defending what she did, but saying that ambient could be a feasible explanation? Somewhat. I, as all things, I feel truth resists simplicity and that it's very easy to simplify things on Twitter and the media. And so you're correct. Roseanne tweeted at Valerie Jair, who I had never heard of but it was apparently some former Obama staffer. And she said, Valerie Jair is like the Muslim Brotherhood plus Planet of the Apes. Dang. That's not even a joke, though. That's just rude. Right, well, within moments, you know, Twitter had been set on fire, and ABC quickly canceled the Roseanne show. And Roseanne lost her job, and was labeled, you know, wow, a racist, this, 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 and that. And in the aftermath... As she was getting wildly condemned. She started the, the day after this mm-hmm. happened. She started going around tweeting that like, hey, it was two in the morning. I was on Ambien. It was Memorial Weekend. I like wasn't thinking. I was out of my mind. Blah, 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 blah. Right. And the media's general reaction to this was, get out of here. You're just trying to come up with excuses. Uh, you know, racist, racist is as racist does. And even the manufacturer of Ambien tweeted at Roseanne and said, you know, Ambien has many side effects, but racism isn't one of them. Right. And the media all cheered like a bunch of seals, like, oh, look mm-hmm. at that. <laughs> Go get them, pharmaceutical <laughs> company. I tweeted, this is a very odd world where Scott Adam, I believe his name was, mm-hmm. who is actually the creator of the Dilbert comics. Anyway, he made a little video on Twitter talking about breaking down what happened. And he, he discusses Ambien and some other interesting news reports that have come, up, come out of Ambien over the years where people on Ambien have done very weird things, extremely weird things, like kill people accidentally on Ambien. So, huh? Like for real? Yeah. Like vehicle manslaughter. They'll get in the car, they'll drive down the wrong way, they'll run over people, they'll get up in the middle of the night, they'll throw like eggs against the wall. So he brought to light that actually Ambien has a history of making people do very weird things. And that it's a plausible defense to say, well, does she have a history of being racist? No, not really. Does she have a history of just saying crazy things? Yes. If she was indeed on Ambien, could she be out of her head a little bit and just kind of tweeting random stuff? Yeah, that's actually plausible. I, I guess I just think that we're missing the mark if we want to discuss the Ambien and not just the fact that she tweeted it, but... Oh, no, no, no. So bring bring us back to where you, what, what you want to focus on. I think she's trying to defend herself, understandably so. I mean, she lost her job and mm-hmm. her livelihood in the sense I think she'll be fine in the long run. But well, it's actually I, inter- don't, I don't like that she's blaming Ambien on it. I mean, just 
totally unnecessary for her to treat those thoughts and they came from somewhere i guess so there's an issue deeper I, than the ambient i agree i guess i try to look at like a couple of things like one can somebody say racist things and not be racist and and this is definitely like a tricky issue saying racist things is racist it's an act of racism but are they racist you know, I don't, I don't know where I fall on it, but I do think there's a nuance to that where somebody can say a racist thing in their life or a racist thing here or there and not really be racist, not in their core. They're not going to actually treat anybody any differently or actually think white people are superior or Asian people are superior or any of that. But they're partaking in the systems at play and just continuing them. Mm, I don't disagree. Which is being racist and actively. I mean, really, if you want to get into the nitty gritty of racism you know i could talk a lot about that i feel like if you aren't actively anti-racist then you are playing a part in racism as a whole so you are racist by default Mm, so a white person's default stance is racist unless they actively fight against it is what you're saying i wouldn't straight up be like you're a racist because you're not actively anti-racist but i think in the grand scheme of things yeah you're you're playing into the systems and benefiting from them and only enabling it to continue which is racism at a systematic level so here's a thought experiment for you while i agree systemic societal racism like permeates in our country Mm -hmm. that allows like certain benefits to white people that black people often do not have or at least gives them the benefit of the doubt in our society that black people do not have gives white people the benefit of white white people the benefit of the doubt okay but if somebody's not aware of that let's say they're ignorant right to the facts that you know more black men are incarcerated than white men even though it's shown that white people and black people commit crimes on equal levels. Right. If you're just totally ignorant to these facts, does that really like imply that they're still like racist? If they're not even aware that they're benefiting from the system, how should they know they should be fighting against it? I don't disagree with you on that either. It's one reason why I'm so passionate about talking about it and getting people to understand because I would say that I certainly fell on that side of being ignorant of it and not understanding it until college, later college. Um, especially given that I'm a white woman, I benefit from these things. I don't have to think about them. Um, it doesn't do me any harm or benefit me really bet like benefit me other than my own personal, like desire to be aware, to really think about these things and process them. Um, so I agree with you. There's so many people out there who aren't aware. And if you're asking me, do I think that they should still be clumped in with this idea since they are not actively anti-racist they are racist it's a tough question but um i would say yes still Hmm. okay which is you know a controversial answer i would presume um it's just it's also hard for me to think that there's people who don't know now which i'm certain that there are but there are people who are aware and they're not doing their research and trying to find you know a sound foundation from which to stand on and belief of their own um because it's just especially with you know all social media and everything and news like we're privy to the examples and stories that present themselves of truth that there's racism at the systematic level and oppression um we're privy to all of those things so it's only on an individual the individual to do the research and recognize um but if they don't, then they're still going to benefit and they're not doing anything to change the system. So that is racist, in my opinion. As a, like a corollary, do you think Roseanne should have been fired? What do you think the proportional response should have been to this? Where do you feel this was fine? This was correct. This was 
ABC exercising their rights as a company to fire people that say racist thing or said a racist thing, no matter the circumstance. That's tricky. I think that my gut is saying like, oh yeah, she should have been fired. Like, how dare she say those things? But in practicality, what really would have ended up happening, I'm sure, is her ratings would have gone down and everything. Um, I think it was more so ABC trying to defend itself and protect its livelihood to fire her um, and just take some sort of action. Indeed. Do I think she should have been fired for her thoughts and words? Perhaps no. Okay. What about you? Yeah, I I tend to agree with you. I try to delineate between thoughts and actions Mm -hmm. and that people are entitled to their thoughts and people can have nasty thoughts about things, but I don't think that means they should be deprived of a livelihood or a right to exist or to like have a voice in public society although i guess by enabling her to continue to have that livelihood that is seen as racist i don't know i guess i i'm trying to formulate my own thoughts on this i mean i don't particularly just like ascribe to the like guilt by association idea that like if you're friends with somebody who is espoused racist views right doesn't make you a racist mm-hmm. it doesn't make you like i don't think you need to disown people that have controversial opinions or opinions that are just dis- like regarded in society as being negative mm-hmm. that humans are complex creatures and that i try to separate uh, the idea that like good people can have bad ideas yeah and bad people can have good ideas and you got to be careful and catch yourself from like realizing like oh just because i agree with this somebody this person on a lot of things are they actually a good person mm-hmm. sometimes they're actually bad people whereas okay. like man i really disagree with this person on a lot of things i think they're so wrong mm-hmm. but in reality they're they're actually a good person yeah i also you know we're doing this and it's like live and we're like saying these things and i think sometimes we listen to ourselves later and we're like oh i don't know if i agree with that like i think we should (laughs) make that clear you were articulated it pretty well yeah i mean this is off the cuff and so don't hold particularly delaney or me to anything we say with like 100 percent validity or how we feel Right. We're working things out yeah. as we go. And often, you know, we'll sit and think about it and change our minds mm-hmm. or like have a more nuanced approach, which maybe in the future we can come back and do like yeah a follow up corner. Right. Because I know like last week when we were talking about the Jordan Peterson and equal pay gap, I even was listening to things and I was like, well, I wish I had highlighted this more and thought about it in this way. I guess I was like one track minded in certain things. Um, so, yeah, I definitely listen to these podcasts after the fact i'm like oh i should have said this or maybe i disagree actually with that because we can think about it more and i think that this for certain is gonna be something that i look back on and i'm like oh now that i've thought more about it maybe and like have a stronger opinion on things yeah but i also think i think it's good to be able to speak freely and like off the top of your mind because that's how you actually arrive Mm -hmm. at like you move forward in your thinking right is you like throw stuff out there and see like, well, did what I say, do I actually agree with what I said? Or and you... Yeah, and I think it would be helpful to have like listeners asking us more questions, probing us, yeah. sharing their thoughts. And we could talk about that, like especially in this, um, on this topic. Help us figure out what we yeah. think and believe. Feel free to uh, tweet us and share us your thoughts on anything we say. Tell us why we're wrong or why we're right. Mm-hmm. Or give us new things to think about. Well, we'll leave it at that for this episode. <laughs> we'll do the uh, how you feel about Twitter this week. Neutral. Five. Five out of ten. Mm-hmm. Are you going to get a Twitter? Definitely not. So you're still not sold on Twitter? No. Gotcha. Is that what you're trying to do? Convert? No. no I'm <laughs> trying to get a read of like 
From my perception, Twitter is the most heavily used social media platform by people in the media. By far, they use Twitter more than any other platform. They love Twitter. But outside of the media world, nobody really seems to care about Twitter. It's the least used social media Mm -hmm. platform. And that creates a disconnect between like the news, who uses Twitter a lot. And because of that, a lot of stuff comes from Twitter. And that's what the news focuses on, but has no bearance on the large swath of people that do not use Twitter at all. Gotcha. All right. Thanks for listening. Tune back in uh, next week. Send us your questions. Please do. Bye. Bye.